How do you, how do you create personalities that are accepted, appro approachable and trustworthy in the different regions and, and cultural backgrounds and diversities of, of, of all of our clients is, is really what the heart of our expertise is. In the world of technology, heroes are everywhere. They're overcoming disruption, delivering sustainable outcomes, and fearlessly forging the future to solve what's next. Join me, Ed McNamara, as we meet the people and businesses driving change in our constantly disruptive world. This is Innovation Heroes, a podcast brought to you by SHI. This episode is brought to you by We Got Your Mac, a new podcast from SHI exploring the benefits and challenges of large-scale Mac adoption across the enterprise. Check out We Got Your Mac wherever you get your podcasts or go to wegotyourmac.com for all the episodes plus tons of free bonus resources and content. We are starting to see a shift in how we interact with computers. In the past, everything was initiated by humans. You'd go to your desktop, you'd turn it on, and you'd start typing. But now, digital assistants are popping up in places like hospitals and banks. They recognize when you're there and can start interacting with you versus the other way around. But how do we create this technology in a way that naturally engages with humans instead of creeping them out? Welcome back to another episode of Innovation Heroes, the podcast exploring the people and businesses driving change in a constantly disrupted world. I'm your host, Ed McNamara. Today, I'm talking to someone at the heart of human-computer interactions. Chuck Rinker is the CEO and founder of Personas by New Media Innovations. Personas creates interactive digital assistants, which are now being used in a variety of industries. We'll get into how these digital personalities were developed, what they are being used for, and the importance of quality UX design. But right now, Chuck, I just want to thank you so much for being here. No, I appreciate you having me, Ed. I'm, I'm looking forward to the conversation. Me too. So you've had a fascinating career so far, so we should definitely tell people about it. Um, going from being a cattle farmer to black ops military to being the director behind the NCAA Madden series of games for EA Sports, now you're creating digital personalities. Do you think that there's anything that connects all these different jobs that you've had? Is there a common thread? There actually is. That's a, that's a, that's a great question because I've, I've had a, a blessed career, I'll, I'll say, and I always tell people the only thing I want to do next year is anything I didn't do the previously. So, <laughs> so it is always trying to find something new. But the, the common thread that I've always been around with, and I'll, I'll jokingly but half seriously point to this little fun little device that none of your readers, I don't know if this is video or not, probably have ever seen. But it was a device that came back in the 70s called the um, um, the Big Tracks, and it was an automated uh, a vehicle, and it taught me programming and taught me automation and taught me the power of uh, scalability and, and how we can use technology to automate and um, 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 take some of that mundane, repetitive portion of our life out. But what was always lacking in these Big Tracks and all is exactly what you were saying in your um, um, opening statement about computers, we always had to initiate everything originated from us. Right. And the common theme when I got out of the cattle farming and my um, father had gotten me into some work with the farm was about an hour outside of DC. And I always get teary when I say this, but you know, he came to me one day and he went to the CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union and said, my, my son's too smart to be a cattle farmer. Give him something that can, you know, stimulate that brain and take advantage of what he does with these technology wow. pieces. And a lot of that was centered around uh, military simulation work, stuff like that. 
And it quickly became apparent to me that human engagement, people love to communicate. They love to talk. You're shaking your head. I'm shaking my head. The way we communicate is very natural. We've spent millions of years evolving how to communicate. And it was always frustrating that the programmers of the world and the engineering of the world were the ones that were um, had, were, were, were trained and had the right mentality to take advantage of all this technology. But we talk as humans. So that common thread you're talking about from game development, games just nothing more than um, AI is not as new as people think. We, AI has been in games since the 70s and 80s, you know, before the turn of the century. And that, that, that's where my early game career, it was all about how to make technology be more human-like, how, how to teach it to communicate like us. So the long-winded answer, but the short answer is that summarizes into what can we do to make technology communicate with humans, not teach humans how to run technology. And that's really the underlining thread of everything I've done. Well, it, it's interesting because I asked you the question, you know, what what's the common thread? But yet, like in terms of, you know, cattle farming, like so computers are read by or, or, or run by by language, like programming language, and there, there needs to be actual language. And you started working with um, <laughs> with creatures that could that had no language and you had to figure out what was wrong or what they needed without it. I mean, does that give you some sort of a insight that um, that people who are only based on, you know, strictly on language or what's on a screen or, or comes out of a keyboard. Does that give you any advantage there? It's funny you said that. And you're, you're the first person to key in on that, Ed. So I'll, I'll, I'll commend you for that one. And actually, right. that is true because I do remember as an early cattle farmer, how do you get cows to do what you want, especially if you're having them, you know, go to uh, load up in the back of a truck to head off to an auction or something. And, and cows, I guess, are just like every other human. We're really motivated by two things. The ability to gain some sort of satisfaction or pleasure and avoidance of pain. So, yeah, we, we, we would teach them. It's a funny story that you say that. I have this um, story I tell people all the time that there was this four-lane highway outside the farm and our cows got out of the fence. And we had oh. probably 120 head of cattle roaming around a four-lane highway. Oh, wow. And the state police were there and all were, how do we get them out of here? Well, you know what we did? It was like the Pied Piper. We had a five-gallon bucket. And I put about, you know, four inches of corn, enough enough to maybe feed one cattle a light snack. Right. But we had 120 <laughs> cows that were following me with this bucket through the road and on the back of a tractor until they all followed us home with this one little bucket of five gallon. So it really does talk to your point about the gesturing and what is really motivational to people and animals in general as a behavioral science. And this really is kind of a behavioral science place. What drives human nature? And it's really an avoidance of pain and a, a desire for satisfaction and pleasure. Food, food was pleasurable to cows. So that's what got 120 cows off of Interstate 7 in Berryville, Virginia, one late day in the late 17, uh, 1970s. So, so, yeah, that's an interesting question. Glad you asked it. With, without a stampede. It's all a matter of motivation. Right? <laughs> that's right. Um, so I heard you had a personal connection to the healthcare industry that prompted you to shift focus and kind of commit to making a difference. Um, would you mind telling us a little bit about that and, and what opportunities did you see in healthcare versus other industries that you, you've worked in? Yeah, that's, that's another great question. And, and there's always, you know, triggering moments in people's life. Um, and we had done some work in the pharmaceutical space with sales engagement tools and building, you know, user experiences for, for sales teams. And at the time we had created Personas, um, we were creating a lot of it for retail. It was when the trade show business was active pre-pandemic. -pre and when that went away, 
at the very same time the pandemic was ramping up, um, my wife was diagnosed with breast cancer a year, literally not even a year after that, probably, I guess, three or four months after when she did her radiation, she promised me that I would go get my cancer screening as well because of the ordeal she went through. So the day she finished her radiation, I went in for my colon oscopy the next day and I was diagnosed with late stage cancer only to find three years after that, my wife's second bout of cancer came back. So the last six years of, 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 of battling cancer are both clean, God bless them. And, um, but the, the point of the reason of telling that story to people is that it's a fundamental eye opener to what we're doing and what, you know, what your life really has to play and what, what it exposed to me, which had eye health assist pop out and start looking at patient populations is in the U S especially, um, I have family members that are frontline workers that have been a healthcare professional for decades and our healthcare system is strapped. Let's be blunt. It's strapped and uh, healthcare professionals, HCPs are leaving at a high rate. We don't have enough to backfill. They're overworked. They're overstaffed. Um, 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 they're underpaid for, for the amount of um, um, turmoil they have to go through on a day-to-day basis. And then you can compound that with the complexities of what healthcare really is. And as a patient, we were getting overwhelmed. You know, what do we do with all the research you're trying to do? How do you get to this appointment? How do you get to that scan? What's this scan mean? What's that mean? And individuals are so desperate for that information when they're in a uh, situation like that. You want to take any burden off of the patient you can and make and help them along that patient journey. And part of that patient journey um, is becoming more and more of a digital patient journey. You know, all the big epic health systems, the electronic health records, the appointment calendar setting, the simple how to get to the cafeteria at the hospital. All of it is being inundated with more and more technology, which holds this wonderful promise of being able to scale medicine at a rate we've never seen before. But it raises that same all the way back to your intro, you know, the insight you put into we have to initiate, we have to know about technology. And in order for patients to take advantage and healthcare professionals to take advantage of all this great AI technology that's popping up, or at least maturing, I won't say popping up, like I mentioned, it's been around for decades. But it really is centering around how do we help patients in the healthcare system with the same technology that we were using not a few years ago to sell you know tens of millions of dollars worth of uh, football games to, to 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 young males and females that wanted to have a football experience so, so how can right. we shift that focus so that's really part of the tie-in i hope you were asking about um and, and why we're going down this patient journey path recently versus the retail and consumer absolutely and um, number one, I'm just so glad that after six years, um, it, it, it sounds like you guys are, have come through to the other side and that's fantastic news. Thank um, you very much. But num- number two, if, if you don't mind me asking, um, in terms of being, being a founder and being a creator, you know, I've had, I saw it, I saw an interview once with a, a, a with, with a surfer, um, who I, I forget his name, but he was a pro surfer who has had a similar diagnosis. And he said that the diagnosis freed him and his brain from the clutter of thinking about anything except for what, you know, was, was the mission at hand. Did, did you find that kind of clarity? Like, was that a, I, I won't even want to say silver lining because I don't want to belittle anything doing like, yeah, battling with cancer. That would be a good thing. But did, did you experience anything like that as well? Oh, absolutely. I, I think it's, it's human nature. I'm, I, I would call it an obsession. You know, I had a, really? a hell bent desire, pardon my French to, 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 to stay on this earth a little longer. And I was reading every right. clinical trial I could get my hands on. 
I was blessed enough that I had a, an amazing team at the company and um, we were a small enough practice that most of my employees are, are counted in the friend category. I wouldn't say most, let's say all of them. So they really helped pick up some slack and I was able to take, you know, six to nine months off of work mostly and just deal with the cancer directly. Um, um, but it did to your point, it really freed myself um, to use your words from worrying about the day to day, which unfortunately there's most patients that go through a, a diagnosis like my wife or I had, um, don't have that luxury. Um, right. But it did allow me to really rethink what we could do with this amazing technology. And I'm going to use a word in the healthcare industry that people don't like, but I'm going to use it for a very deliberate pers purpose. And I'm going to call mm -hmm. it addiction. Um, we always tout about the um, addiction of kids to games and even middle-aged people don't realize most gamers are actually middle-aged gamers not not all the young guys you know we, we all we all love the challenge of problem solving and, and, and engagement but the addiction that we've been able to um, instigate across the commercial venture like the electronic entertainment space and gaming space it the the the, the, the phrase we use is well what if we could get patients people addicted to their own health to improve my own health. So the long-term goal is really to instill that sense of engagement that I, I won't call cancer journeys uh, fun by any stretch of the imagination, but right. if it's less painful and it becomes motivational where people have um, a human nature to engage with some of these really cool technologies. And like I said, I hate to use the word fun, but it really is. It makes the pain of having to deal with everything you have to deal with during your patient journey a little more palatable and sometimes even almost engaging you know that's the word we like to use engaging um right. that that's that that can that can move the needle in healthcare across the spectrum especially when it's you know you for for your experience six years of of, of your life you know i mean that that's it, it it's it's there 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 are times when it, it's got to be engaging because it's it's such a long journey so you know thank thanks for that insight um, talking about the the personas itself, you know, personas makes you know digital assistants or personalities that are able to communicate in over 150 languages, in, including sign language. Can you tell us more about how they work and and kind of how you built them? Sure, I'm going to tell your public the dirty little secret. We didn't really build it. <laughs> um, no, I say that half jokingly, but you know, we've been, we've been building avatars and games for decades. Um, mm -hmm. The dirty little secret is quite honestly, our, our revolutionary personas digital humans are really a combination of a, a, a wonderful 18 year partnership we've had with Microsoft, who excels at the natural language parsing and the cog what we call cognitive services. That part of artificial intelligence that deals directly with language um, and how the brain would think and interpret what you're saying. So when you ask me a question like, how do I get to parking or where's parking at or, you know, I need to right. park my car somewhere. There's so there's a million ways humans can relay the same intention. What what is your what is your intention? What information are you really trying to give? So a lot of that core development is really spawned out of our our relationship with Microsoft. We've been in their innovation lab. We've been like I said an 18 year partner. So a lot of the human understanding on what that verbal communication is is part of our partnership. And the other dirty little secret is that the other part of the how do you represent that in a human? And there's some pretty fascinating clinical trials even and medical studies that talk about um, human engagement and why when you have a personality behind it, 
there's a trust and empathy and an approachability that you don't right. get off of the series and the Alexas and just general computer uh, um, um, engagements. Um, but the point is, is that um, uh, probably this most of the C-suite of the company was founded and I would met them through my other engagements. You mentioned early graciously about, you know, my work in the simulation world and in particular in the gaming world with the EA sports director role I played with the NCAA Madden franchise. And like my CTO was one of the lead developers on Madden and um, college football as well. Um, so the point there is that the person personas that you're seeing now and that we're touting as a, a, a new innovation in human uh, representation is really at the core game engine as well. So we've really taken a game engine and my, uh, AI technology from arguably the number one AI company out there, Microsoft, people don't realize how in depth Microsoft is on that and really combine that through our, our talents. And we, I'm not saying we didn't architect some of it, you know, how do you package a personality? Right. We'll get into that in a minute um, is really at the core of what we do. So we're bringing world-class technologies together and turning them into a personality. And when I say a personality, and I'll try to finish this up quick, it's not just what languages they can speak, because you honed in on that. It's not even what right. ultimately what the aesthetics are. It's what what makes Ed Ed. It's not just how you look. It's what knowledge you have in your brain. What do you know about? What's your expertise? What are your mannerisms? What is your demeanor? Are you straight-laced? Are you comical? Are you satirical you know what makes you a personality um how you how you gesture you know how you're bobbing your head now so a lot of what we've done is take behavioral science thoughts and about the psychology of what makes a person a person and wrap them into a bundle so we say okay now we can sell you a digital personality and part of what we were doing is really just adding being becoming a catalyst what does it take for a team to put together all these pieces, you know, like for, for, for those that might do gaming, you know, you have your animators, you have your audio producers, you have your programmers, you have your game designs, you have your producers. You got a people, people who know the rules of football, people who know what a gang tackle would look like when three AI avatars, which quite honestly, man, football is the world's epitome of AI. And we were doing in the 1990s. Um, you know, how do you get 22 players to actually run around, catch and tackle in a, in a organized collaborative fashion? That's AI. So the point of it is, is that we're really personas is a packaging of everything, everything that goes into making a personality, a personality, and then making those personalities represent the brand or the patient, the cultural sensitivities, the demographics you're trying to target, the parts of the world we're in UK, Netherlands, Saudi Arabia, US. So we have them all over the place. How do you, how do you create personalities that are accepted approachable and trustworthy in the different regions and, and cultural backgrounds and diversities of, of, of all of our clients is, is really what the heart of our expertise is. And, and that's fascinating to me because, um, you know, humans have learned to quickly evaluate how to best interact with the person sitting or standing in front of them. Um, and, and I'm just assuming that personas has the ability to understand how to, how to tone something down, rephrase information, you know, moderate vocabulary based on age, aptitude, schooling, schooling of individuals. Um, so assuming that it has to have that to because you, you talked about trust, and that was something I wanted to ask about. Is there is there like, uh, do, can you can you quantify trust? Like, do you know, it's like, hey, we have to get 
here? Is, is there an equation to trust? I don't even know what the, what the right word is, you know, because like, especially in healthcare, you've got to have it to make that yeah. interaction, you know, useful and, and to, to the, to, to, to the patient who's, who's the user at the time, you know, how do you quantify that? That's an amazing question. If I knew the answer, yes, I would be, <laughs> I would, I would be a, a different, uh, uh, position right now, but, um, right. I wouldn't say there's a, an answer, but there's definitely, I'm not, it's, it's, it's beyond anecdotal though. And, and your defense, Eddie, you're absolutely, it is beyond anecdotal. There are several clinical trials and we'll probably open the door to a, another long winded conversation that I have often. Um, around what we call the uncanny valley, which is where is the borderline between characters that are dismissed as toys or just emoticons versus characters that are um, um, considered creepy and almost offensive. Um, um, mm -hmm. we, we, the number one thing I have to defend in personas over and 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 over is no, we're not here to replace humans. We're here. We're not here to replicate humans. We're here to communicate with humans. And so what is quantifiable and trust is really, um, like I said, not only evasive, but it, it is definitely measurable. And there's even a clinical trial um, done through a university in uh, Seoul, South Korea, where they took avatars from physical robots that were covered with rubber skins that look very human-like down to, okay, here's your stick figures and your, you know, smiley face characters. And then here's your more Disney-esque, but slightly more realistic than Disney-esque. Um, um, not quite as juvenile in nature, um, right. um, but, but a little more, um, 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 I'll say, uh, demographic associated with the, the people who are using them. And that's the power of it. And the results of the um, clinical trial not only clearly stated that people would engage longer, but they actually would measure what they call a factor of likeliness of, 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 of likeness. How much, how much not likeness, like how it was represented, but likeness of how much did you like the character? How likable was it? And what they found and when people are more likable, they're more trustworthy to you. Right. And so they found out that if you go too far, the uncounty Valley, just in the 30 seconds, I'll try to describe it is once you get too photorealistic, I equate it to the Hollywood, I'll, I'll call it the horror movie effect. When right. you try to create a creature or something in a horror movie or in a person and their head spins a little too far, <laughs> their, their <laughs> wrist spins farther than it should. Their eyes are slightly bigger than they really should be. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we, we can't recreate the intricacies of the human enough that it fools them. And even we're pretty damn close, pardon, pardon my French again, pretty, pretty close right now in some of, I won't call them our competitors. I'll call them other people playing in the human communication space have gotten really good at it. And we were good at it. We had done that early on. But once you become too human, we'll key in on those really, really subtleties of what a human is. And if it's not really what the human would do, the, the human, the, the real human versus the replicant human, that's when it becomes creepy. And that's when people inherently get the sense that, you're pulling the wool over our eyes. You're trying to, you're creeping them out. You're just trying to replace humans. So, um, I, I had the distinct honor of, um, being far enough in this career that I was introduced to the, at the time, the, um, uh, as one of the SVPs of Disney uh, Imagineering. And I mm -hmm. flew out to uh, Anaheim to meet with, uh, John Snotty and he had 
been a gamer before he had become an engineer and he had a game company that would superimpose photos onto playing characters. And John, if you're listening, I hope I'm not misrepresenting what you did because it was an amazing <laughs> trip. But in any sense, he looked at our photorealistic character and he was the first one that told me, well, two things, one of which more Disney, we're not going to buy your stuff. We're going to do our own and we're going to do it the Disney way. Which I totally respect. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a devout uh, follower of the wisdom of Walt. Um, but that it's being worked. said, it's worked. yes. Yeah. And, yeah. But, um, but he also said, you, you're trying to be too human, you know, back it off a little. This Disney can make you cry over a skunk. Disney can make you feel emotion over, um, you know, uh, an eight foot tall beast when the, when the, the beautiful princess, uh, um, um, falls falls in love you know bell falls in love with the beast and and you feel for the beast you see his vulnerability so the personality behind a character is not the physical aesthetics and and he was the one that really kind of quote unquote smacked me in the face a little and made me rethink our characters so since then and that was probably seven or eight years ago maybe 10 years ago quite honestly since then we've really been focusing on the engagement communication and backing off those characters so they are approachable, so they are empathetic, so they're not viewed as a threat, so they are trustworthy. And um, that's led us into some successes in the clinical trial world where you're trying to deal with um, largely uh, a misrepresented demographic for clinical trials, where you're trying to attract more underserved communities, minority communities. And um, right now we have a, a heavy, heavy, heavy slant towards uh, clinical trials being uh, largely populated by your, your middle-aged white guys like myself. And that's, um, that's not representational where our, our healthcare system and our clinical trials and outcomes need to be. So I'll thank John for that uh, smack in the face 10 years ago. And it's really helped us um, um, refine what we were trying to do. If you're a business leader, there's a good chance you've had to confront the question of whether you should bring Max into your enterprise. It's a PC business world, but your users might prefer Mac devices and platforms. Adopting Mac across your business has its upsides, but it can also come with a lot of challenges. That's why SHI created a new podcast called We Got Your Mac. We Got Your Mac helps business leaders understand the pros and cons of Mac adoption. On the show, hosts Victoria Barber and Kevin English will lead you on the journey from discovery to deployment with thought leaders and specialists from the world of Apple and Mac. They'll be exploring questions like, is your employee experience suffering by only offering one platform? Can you drive productivity with a device choice? And do Mac platforms help support innovation? Adopting Mac at scale isn't purely an IT decision. It's a business decision. So the show doesn't get super technical, but rather it's on a level that everyone can relate to. I've listened to the first few episodes and I'm excited for the rest of the season. They've already released episodes on topics like building the business case, understanding the total cost of ownership, and collaborating in Windows-dominated workplaces. And new episodes are coming out every two weeks. So why not have a listen? Subscribe to We Got Your Mac wherever you get your podcasts or go to wegotyourmac.com to access all the episodes and tons of great bonus resources for business leaders like you. I mean, that's great because I'm just assuming that, you know, the, 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 these solutions are, are scalable and, and can reach places that, you know, aren't, aren't as easily accessible to, you know, to, to, you know, 
folks who were lucky enough to live in, you know, the the city or the suburbs or or, or any place else. So, like, I totally get where you guys are, uh, where the the real helpfulness of this this is. Um, I, I I love the point about um, you know how human to make it, and and I was thinking, you know, the in the other way for some reason the movie The Matrix popped into my mind when <laughs> they says, you know, the agent says. Uh, you know, the first Matrix was designed to be perfect and it was rejected and, and entire crops were lost or whatever, you know, and I was like, because it was too perfect. It's like, we, we need, we need a little of the misery to, to make it like, you know, lifelike, you know, like, well, it's That's a really funny. fine line, you know. That's hilarious. Yeah, no, you get it. You get it. You've asked, you, you've now made two points that even I hadn't made before. So those are good. That's, that's hilarious. Awesome. It was um, So... We can't really have an episode without talking about AI. <laughs> it's Innovation Heroes and it's two, 2023, right? So of course. Um, while we're not specifically talking about generative AI or, or large language modules, AI is still very much at the heart of, of what you're doing. Can you tell us how AI is used to build these these digital you know personalities and just kind of how does it work on the back end? Sure. And for the first time, I'm going to correct you on both accounts. <laughs> we, <laughs> we, we do use generative AI, but we don't okay. use it as the end product. And I'll, I'll explain that Got real quick. And we okay. do um, um, we do use large language models, but uh, you probably haven't seen a whole lot of that yet. The, the LLMs are a lot of what's behind the understanding of what the intentions are when you're talking to one of our avatars. Um, but we're okay. also doing some early work with LLMs. Um, our characters do have a patent, and we, we do have the distinct uh, honor of being the first and probably, I wouldn't say only, but first one to really capitalize on a, a desperate need for um, a better support of the deaf community, uh, nationally and internationally. So our characters, were um, we have a patent on doing the sign language, American sign language in the U.S., and we're doing a current deployment outside of London right now with British sign language. So we use LLMs to translate um, um, sign language a lot of it's hand keyed still if you're an animator you'll know what i'm talking about but a lot of it still has to be hand keyed because of the um, accuracies needed and we're not quite there with uh, automating that portion of the animation um but back on the um generative ai um it's a keynote because i think gener ai generative ai is obviously going to be disruptive we use it for a lot of our marketing stuff but we also use it for some of our content generation um for doing some of the lip sync and generating elements that would be posed as um, expediting the content creation process. But we don't use that as the end result. I think it's in the healthcare industry, especially when you're dealing with patient sensitivities, you'll be dealing with, um, quite mm -hmm. honestly, life and death situations. Um, yep. The concept of uh, hallucinations, um, which are caused by basically a built-in inherent bias in the data. So unless you know the data source and you're vetting that data source um, inherently, um, and it's going to be forming its own conclusion. So at the core, generative AI uses these models to create what they believe is the proper response. We use more of what um, Microsoft's, uh, um, as we mentioned, our partnership with them is more in what we call the active learning. So we generate some of the responses, but the active learning means if I'm working with you as a hospital and we're doing a simple wayfinder, how do you, how do you get patients around the hospital in a timely fashion? Get their appointments and 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 you know get get in and out of the hospital as uh, politely and efficiently as they can. We'd work with the patient experience team and we would pull the knowledge base from them. So it means active learning means we use AI to generate content, but we won't deploy anything that hasn't been human vetted. Okay. And that, and that that's really kind of how we're 
working around that. I think with marketing and and like all good technologies, eventually it, 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 it'll probably be there. But the um, let's let's just say we're taking the walk, don't run model right now um, um, and making sure that the human component is always still there. And our goal is to just give the human capital, your staff, your volunteer staff, your paid staff. We're just trying to return 20 to 30% of their hours back to them so they can do what only humans can do. They can supply that creativity, that empathy, that problem solving that's going to be relevant to their position and their profession versus a, you know, nurse running around a hospital or even as a surgeon or a, a veteran HCP and being pulled away from their either duties as what they're trying to pull off to answer directions or to give um, advice and to be able to say, okay, oncologist, you know what, if I'm giving you two hours or four hours or six hours, whatever it comes out to depending on the use case back to you. Now that's four to six hours you can dedicate to your patient engagement and to your servicing of your patient population. So it really is by taking load off of your staff, which people say replacing staff. No, it's actually empowering your staff to give that time back to what they've trained and what they've spent their entire career with. And right now they're overburdened with the repetitive and mundane and it's just a stressful world. Well, it, it sounds the the potential sounds amazing because I've had conversations with, um, you know, folks in, in healthcare who are like, if I could get my nurse to stop having to go and walk and shut off that beeping Bingo. machine, you know, like if, if I could, I could get ten percent of their day back by doing that. So this is this is a real game changer. This this is absolutely really really good stuff here. Um, in terms of uh, so a lot of a lot of our audience you know has to build teams you know teams of you know creative teams technology you know technologists uh, etc like do, do you have character you know in terms of you you touched on the the you you don't deploy anything that has not been human vetted you know um in terms of like the skill set for for the people that you're seeking to be on your team to to do this do you have any characteristics that you know come to mind in terms of like you know, how human do your humans need to be i guess is the question <laughs> that's pretty funny i'm gonna give you a credit for three good ones that's another one that right, asked me is about the staff that's that's awesome this is great this is great um because I, I, unless you really start getting involved in our company, we, we did even a couple of little video clips and talk. We actually boast and brag about um, the uh, people that excel at this type of um, um, work environment um, are pretty creative, but they're also both left and right brain. And I'll give you a couple of anecdotals, um, like my chief technology officer. He's my CTO of the company, leads all their development amazing UX architect, uh, engineer. Um, he's got an animation degree. I, I met him in a 3d animation college. So he was mm -hmm. a computer scientist from Loyola university that was programming, um, on my Madden franchise or not on mine, but prior to part of me programming for Cree, I believe it was. And mm -hmm. we just started BSing in an animation college because we both had a passion for 3d animation and he was getting an animation degree. And then my CIO who is now my chief information officer, you know, he's got a he's got a degree in UI design. I myself just to boast a little, you know, I've 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 one of those chronic learners. I mean, I started out as an electrical right. engineer at the University of Miami, ended up as a computer science guy, went to postgraduate at George Washington for some multimedia techs, and I also have a 3D animation degree. 
So the point of the story is that we could go down a long list of um, um, other other employees that uh, tend to be like my director of marketing. That's another fun one I love because I love Disney. I mean, she was a professional dancer for Disney. She was a, a dancer. Wow. And now she's running the, some of our strategic uh, um, 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 strategy sessions with our relationship with Gardner and doing marketing uh, direction as well. But she's, she's a dancer by trade. Um, so the point is, is that I think the people that really see the holistic package of what a human is and what they're capable of has that combination of uh, not only engineering, but creativity and a, a, a love and passion for the arts. If I can be so bold, kind of that, that more of that Renaissance type of mentality where you're covering the, the, the bridging the gap between science and uh, arts is kind of where, where we love to, to live. And that's a, that's a fun world to play in. You're really looking for people who are who are capable of of, of knowing what humans are, are, are capable of, or people who understand what humans are capable of, and that's that is that is really cool because it's just gonna it, it's it's gonna help your product, which is gonna help your your patients and your end users. Um, so there's so many ways that you could be using this technology um, with different industries and jobs that digital assistants could support. You know, outside of um, you know healthcare. You know, what are your plans for the for the future, um, and and will it change and and, and how will it continue to evolve? How do you see it? Um, a, another challenging question, because this um, every, every week that goes by, there's a shift in this market. You know, you, that technology mm -hmm. moves so fast. Um, yep. We've kind of taken the approach that um, there's companies that either have the very specific um, resources to create a um, experience that is custom tailored to them and my um where am i going i'm, I'm probably phrasing it up uh, a little more complex than it needs to be bottom line is there's a combination of dozens if not hundreds of technologies that go together and integrate to create these solutions so they tend to take historically they tend to take a long time and a lot of money to get out there and get right what are focus since 2013 which is when we started the personas product line um and we've been around since 1999 was really focused on how do we scale that in and of itself so our personality engine what we call our our, our, per, our personas personality engine is really how do we bring our um expertise and digital personalities and apply them on top of existing or new um, upcoming enterprise solutions. So we're really not the end builder. Like a good example is a relationship we have with a company called Mapden. I'll say one of the most full featured and easy to work with companies out there. And they do a wonderful, wonderful job at um, way, digital wayfinding solutions for airports, hospitals, retail, shopping mm -hmm. malls, things like that. And, and, and we saw that use case. So we built our platform so that we have an integration point. So we integrate with their solution and become part of an ecosystem because you know this takes everything from technical services groups to enterprise solutions to hardware manufacturers uh, to our user experience. So we're really that UX layer where if you had an existing solution and you want to put a personality behind it, so we've packaged that up. So that where that relates to your question directly is our roadmap is really mm -hmm. driven by the use cases that. Um, are most appropriate for, I'll call it kind of public facing human engagement. Um, 
you really, as, as much as I'd love to say, I'd like to see a personas on everybody's cell phone in the world. You know, you, you don't need that. You, you, you know your device inside and out. You're not in an unfamiliar territory. These devices right. are probably better served for things like patient discharge. We've done some early conversations around that with the Einstein Institute. Um, human engagement, we had an early conversation I'd love to bring back up with like um, Virgin Cruise Lines about what if your ship could talk to you? Because Virgin hmm. Cruise Lines names their ships after after females, after women. And what if you could give that ship a personality and engage with your traveling people? So um, we're going to stay in the healthcare. Clinical trial is probably one we've gotten some early traction. We're trying to get more into because I think that's um, an important overlooked aspect of healthcare. It's not just how do doctors uh, serve patients um, um, after they've been diagnosed, you know, what is the treatment process. But every major advance in pharmaceutical and healthcare um, starts in the clinical trial world. You know, it really does. It has to, it has to, right. you know, how, how do you prove this? And so to improve outcomes in healthcare, you've got to quantify those outcomes with clinical trials. So um, our immediate roadmap over the next 12 months is probably going to be focused on um, clinical trial world uh, type, type efforts as well. Well, it sounds like uh, it, it's just really an, an amazing future. Uh, I'm looking forward to learning about where Personas goes next. Um, for our listeners, um, where, where can they go and follow you and learn more about the work uh, that you're doing with Personas? For the, those interests in healthcare, I'd encourage you to just start right on our, we have a LinkedIn page and a website. iHealth Assist is what we call that. Um, um, healthcare Assistant is I, the letter I, Health Assist. Personas is prsonas.com um just like the word personas you know the p-e-r-s-o-n-a-s but without the e and there's a reason mm -hmm. for that but that's a different topic um <laughs> i'm gonna say this one uh, i'm gonna beg your audience i do this every time and i kind of find Before. it almost like a little personally i love to engage on linkedin i love to talk to people who have nice. a genuine interest in learning and advancing what we can do with human engagement and human computer interfacing. However, I'm, I'm sure everybody can relate here. The number one response I get once I get my name out there is, Hey, can I sell you X, Y, Z? Are you interested in X, Y, Z services? So I politely and please ask, don't, 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 don't use this as me opening the door for a sales engagement. <laughs> don't try to sell me something. I don't need more encyclopedias. I need a. I need people who really believe in the vision of of, of digital assistants and digital personalities and how they can help people in their day to day lives and take some of that burden off of our workforce. Um, those are the people I want to talk to, and LinkedIn is right. a great place for it. So that that's I I, I commend you on that. And if anybody's <laughs> listening, you know, don't don't send the uh, the message that says it looks like we we we're, we share a lot of the same people. I'd love to connect. <laughs> exactly. It's like you know, come with something more than that, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, right. You kind of bring something to the table, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Well, Chuck, you've given us a lot to think about when it comes to human computer interactions and and how they are changing. You know, thank you for providing your insights into the, the power of, of UX and CX design uh, and your advice for using AI and other tools to create digital personalities that are, are approachable uh, and, and, and really human. It's just really exciting to see this technology and, and how it will continue to, to evolve. Um, thanks to our listeners for joining us. Make sure to follow and subscribe to Innovation Heroes wherever you get your podcasts or check us out on YouTube. 
unless you're doing that right now. Uh, we'll be back in, with another inspiring hero in two weeks. Until then, I'm your host, Ed McNamara, and uh, Chuck Renker, CEO and founder of Personas by New Media Innovations. Just want to say thanks again. Thank you, Ed. Take care. This episode is brought to you by We Got Your Mac, a new podcast from SHI exploring the benefits and challenges of large-scale Mac adoption across the enterprise. Check out We Got Your Mac wherever you get your podcasts or go to wegotyourmac.com for all the episodes plus tons of free bonus resources and content.